Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth. For the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Connor Good gosh, dirty. This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. What's going on, guys? It's the Heel Tub Blog Podcast here on a Monday night with you and uh, recapping one of the uh, another tough loss for the Tar Heels and one that drops Carolina to eight and three on the season and uh, now has Carolina sitting in a spot where they got to win next week against NC State or else we'll pr- we're pretty much right back where we were at the end of last season. Plenty to get to here on this edition of the podcast. We got to talk uh, about the fumbles. Uh we got, you know, their their impact on this game was absolutely huge and you hate that it happened to the player that it did. We'll talk more about that. Drake May struggles again against the Clemson Tigers. Uh big part of that uh due to the unit in front of him. So we'll talk uh, of course, about that and uh, another tough defensive performance, especially on the ground for the Tar Heels, uh, as they, they just did not have any answers for this Clemson running game. So we'll talk all about that. Mac Brown had an interesting comment, and uh, there was uh, an aspect of this game that drew the ire of a lot of fans. We'll talk about that as well. And uh, also, uh, before we get out of here, Carolina, no injury updates uh, today in their press conference. What does that mean? Uh, what are we uh, thinking that could possibly mean for uh, a guy like Elijah Huzzy, who exited the game early and did not return? So we're going to talk about all of that here on this edition of the podcast. But we have to start just by talking about what I think is really just the most disappointing game of the season for Carolina. I, I mean, I think the other ones, I don't even, disappointing wasn't really what we felt. I, I feel like that was more anger. And you could, a lot of people are probably saying, 
Um, hey, dumbass, you were the one that said coming into this game that Carolina was going to lose this game. And I actually predicted the margin correctly, 38 to 27, the final score 31 to 20. But I got to be honest, I did not see this game going the way that it did. Um, do, do not let the final score fool you. Carolina had a chance to not only win this game, they, they had a chance to probably control this game. Um, and I, I truly believe there were a lot of people that were mad at me this morning um, that you know, on on the Mac and Bone show that said uh, when I said that that Clemson really didn't play that great of a game that uh, I didn't know what I was watching that uh, when I said that Carolina had a chance to come out and punch them in the mouth that I didn't know what I was talking about if Carolina scores the two on the two drives early in the game the first drive and the fourth offensive drives of the game where they fumbled on, Carolina probably wins that game. I'm not going to say going away, but they probably would have had a pretty comfortable lead the majority of the way because this Clemson team that had so many issues with turnovers um, would have had to throw the ball a lot more than they did. Uh, they, I mean, Carolina had a chance to put this team on their heels, and they didn't um, because this is Carolina football. There's just no other way around it. There is no other way to explain how one of the most trustworthy backs in the entire country has a tremendous game outside of the two fumbles, but has the two biggest plays of the day that go against Carolina and ultimately are the reason that Carolina loses this game. So, I mean, I don't know about you. I, I mean, Virginia, Georgia Tech, I really was just angry and pissed off after those games. But this game, is, it's really just more disappointment because I think we expected that we were going to lose going in. But when we saw that there was a chance for Carolina to win, I, I think we all thought that they, they had a chance to execute on it, and they didn't. I mean, disappointed is a good word. I think frustrated is also another word because it's example, I mean, how many ever point oh that this program just can't, can't get over the hump. 475.0. And, like, even though this isn't a vintage Clemson team, they're not going to play for a championship or anything, for this program, this is a measuring stick. And in a lot of ways, you you measured up because you went on the road in the most difficult environment you you you, you played in this year, and you competed. Um you didn't get blown out, which was very much on the table, I thought, going into the game. And then with the the fumbles, like it was on the table for you to get blown out. You didn't get blown out. Um, arguably the best running back in the country who went and fumbled the ball all year has two costly fumbles that ended up playing a pivotal role in the game. Your offensive line, which for the first quarter and a half or so held its own, just forgot how to block for your generational talent at quarterback from the middle of the second quarter on the rest of the way. And then a, a, a defense that um, we believed so much in the first month of the season, we knew what the game plan was going to be going in. And yet, like we have time and time again, we had no answers for the running game. So it's just, I mean, it's really just frustrating um, and I think it's just why I think I've, I think I said this last week on the pod. I've, I'm getting to a place with this team where I'm not going to allow them to continue to hurt me. I'm going to watch them and I'm going to enjoy when they play well. 
and be upset when they lose, but my, my Saturdays are no longer hell-bent on what that team does because, you know, I'll be more frustrated and unhappy more often than not. And so um, you, they, they competed. They, they played hard, which was more than what you could have said against this team a year ago. But there's still a gap that's between Carolina and Clemson. Um, and it's probably just another sign that, you know, whenever this season does come to an end, Mac Brown goes into retirement because I feel like he's done all that he all that he can do, and yet we're still eleven points away from being the type of team that could compete with the perennial power week in week out. Well, it's just it's the same story over and over again. It doesn't matter who the opponents are. It's just the fact of the matter is is that you should watch this team up until about middle of October and then just stop watching them. Because if you did that, you would you would love watching this team, because this is what they do every year. I, I said it. I said it today. Can, at, at some point, can we just not start fast? Can we just suck out of the gate? Like I mean, just absolutely suck, like we do at the end of the year to begin a season, and then turn it around and play the way that we do early in seasons at the end of a year, like. I, I just this is the part that I think is is most frustrating with this program right now is that every single year now you start the year out so well where you feel like okay we we're building something we have a chance to compete and by the end of the year you look back and laugh at yourself and say man how stupid did I seem at that point of the season um, this year, I mean, we we said it so many times on here that we truly believe that this team was different. And again, I don't know if you can, if you're pointing to this game against Clemson as the game where you say, okay, this proves that this team isn't different. But it really is is just another example of a team that, as you said, just cannot go from good to great. I mean, I got to be honest: are we even? Are, are they even good? I mean, what are they, slightly above average? Like, I feel like that's the point that they're at right now because games that they have opportunities to win, that they set themselves up with the opportunities to win, they can't do it. They they physically cannot do it. And I mentioned the fumbles were a big part of it. Um, and and look, I, I think, you know, the first one was, was frustrating enough. Now, you can make an argument that this goes on the offensive line false start on the offensive line, backs Carolina up from the two-yard line to the seven. Hampton then fumbles the football. Um, But, you know, look, your running back's got to be able to hold on to the ball there. Okay, that's bad enough. The second fumble, that was the one that completely changed the game. Uh, Hampton going into the end zone, ball gets punched out from behind by Nate Wiggins. Um, It, it, You know, Clemson, it goes out of the end zone. Clemson gets the ball at the 20-yard line. They drive down the field, tie the game. That that was that was pretty much where the game changed because Carolina's offense could not do anything from that point forward, uh, consistently moving forward. I, I mean, it, it just it just can't happen, and I hate it, man. I hate that we have to sit here and talk about Amorian Hampton being one of, if not in my opinion, the biggest reason that Carolina lost this game. Because, look, if, if he holds on to the ball, even if Carolina kicks a field goal on the first drive 
and he holds on to the ball and goes into the end zone there on the fourth drive of the game. Carolina's up 17-0. That's a three-score lead on the road at Clemson. I can't remember the last time somebody had a three-score lead on the road at Clemson. You you probably got to go all the way back to that 2014 game uh, that Florida State played there and just beat the brakes off of them at night. I mean, you would have taken that crowd out of it. It would have been, I mean, really hard for that team to recover after everything that they had been through. I mean, look, is it possible they could have recovered? Oh, of course. Dabo Sweeney is as good as any coach in the country at rallying his guys as he's shown this year. But, I, I, I mean, to me, like, if he holds on to that football there, even in one of those occurrences, and they score a touchdown, two scores, huge difference in the game. So, he may have been great. He may have ran for 178 yards on the night, but he's the biggest reason Carolina lost this game in my mind. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, yeah, I mean, it's it's up there because if if he if, if those if those turn into even let's just say it's a touchdown and a field goal. Let's say that you don't even convert the first fumble, Carolina stalls you and you take a three and you take three points. It still changes the game because you're at some point, you know, playing with the lead, maybe a double digit lead. Clemson's got to change the things that they got to do offensively. Um, and maybe you're able to apply more pressure on club. Nick, he, he forces a turnover, all that. That didn't happen. There was never once in the game you made Clemson play uncomfortable. And for you to go on the road into, into that environment, you're going to have to make them become uncomfortable. Because as long as they were going to stick to their schedule and play the way they wanted to play – their, what 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 played out was the game plan, was they knew they could wear you down quarter by quarter, and by the middle of the second half you'd be gassed, and, and it sucks because because you know Hampton's had a fantastic season. You could argue he's had the best the best running back season of any running back in the country, and there's a lot of great running backs uh, that, that 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 are playing this year and playing at a high level, and the fact that he had had some two hundred some odd cares without a fumble this year. And he fumbles not once but twice is just maddening uh, because you look at the stats and you go, man, that guy had a great game. Like, well, how many other running backs are putting up that type of production against Clemson's defense? There aren't many. But he also had two fumbles. And, you know, when you look at, you know, from going to good to great and what those margins look like, you can't turn the ball over on the road. You can't turn the ball over inside the five twice on the road. And that's what happened. And, that as much as anything is as, as big a reason why Carolina came up short once again. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely, you know, part, partly on him, but again, if, you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword because if he doesn't play the way that he plays, Carolina has really no chance to win this game because Drake may for a second straight year against Clemson uh, was not great at all. Um, this game you could argue he was better in this game than he was last year in the ACC championship game. Not really saying much, but still, uh, the thing for him, really a tale of two uh, of real, uh, of two different players, I, I guess is what you would say, because uh, it wasn't even really two different halves. It starts the game 5-9, and nine, 120 yards, touchdown on the first three drives. So not too bad, you know, not the most accurate – but still, getting the ball down the field, hitting some big plays, 
uh, hits the touchdown pass to J.J. Jones, um, which was a special one to say the least. And it looked like, okay, you know, he's, he's going to be under some pressure, but he's still going to have a chance to succeed. After that, uh, just he completed just 11 of 27 passes for mm-hmm. 89 yards and threw the interception at the end of the game. Now, he did run the ball pretty well, 10 rushes for 67 yards, did a great job scrambling all night. But really, I, I mean, this is, you know, two straight performances against Clemson where he's just looked off. I mean, short hopping some stuff, even on those first couple of drives, uh, the incompletions were not even really close to receivers. Uh, it's just, you know, a guy that seems when they get into this game, especially when uh, he, he's under a lot of pressure, he just can't really do a whole lot with the football. And again, part of it is that Clemson secondary played really well. There wasn't a lot of separation from the Torrio receivers. Uh, they showed, you know, multiple times on the broadcast Guys just not being able to create any separation at all. Uh, but, I mean, this is one of those things that, you know, if Carolina is going to be able to beat really good teams, they have to do enough to help their quarterback out. And, you know, I, I mean, I guess part of this has to be on Drake's shoulders too. He has to play better in, in games against teams like Clemson and the team they're going to face next week that's going to have a really good defensive front that's going to try to get after him in NC State. Yeah, I mean, I might be speaking out of hyperbole. If he doesn't end up being the number one pick in the draft, this tape and the tape last year could really be the biggest reason why because those are the two best defenses that he's played, and he had his two worst games. Um, Part of it is Clemson's defense, while they've been, quote-unquote, down as a program, the defense hasn't been. Um, that, That defense has been ACC championship good, really national championship good the last couple of years. And you saw that the other day with the way that they they out they 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 out physical Carolina at the point of attack. They they kept him in a muddy pocket. Um, they knew how to contain him to where they were forcing him back into pressure. And then their corners, their ability to play physical down the field really played a factor. On the flip side, this is where I thought Chip Lindsey really failed his quarterback was because a quick passing game that. Um, Carolina used early and often in the beginning of the year, just wasn't really effective. You know, we didn't even really try to get the ball just out of his hands quickly and make these guys make plays in open space. And so I thought it was just a collaborative effort all around up front about Carolina, not putting the type of performance together that they needed that they needed to put together. You turn the ball over twice, you know, inside the five yard line. Um, and, and then you, you really struggle to, to protect. You really struggle to create separation in the passing game. Um, Chip Lindsey's game plan since the Miami game have been questionable. He was going to have to be dang near perfect on Saturday to give Carolina a, ch- uh, a chance, and as we learned over the course of that game, he was anything but. Yeah, I, I mean, I, and the biggest thing for me is that, you know, the offensive line just, just has to be better. That, that's, that's really where it all starts with Carolina against these good defensive fronts. Um, They've just had nothing for these groups. And, you know, you were hoping that maybe last week, good performance against Duke, who has a really good defensive front, maybe that would help this group out. No, didn't do anything for them in this one. Now, look, this group for Clemson is, I mean, one of the best, if not the best defensive line uh, lines in the entire country. I mean, you talk about 
just the amount of depth. I mean, the guys that they were rotating in, I mean, you've got true freshmen that are already, I mean, if they were at any other school, they would be starting and playing just about every snap. Um, but, but here on this defensive line, they're rotating in with guys that are first team, all ACC, uh, you know, potential all American type players. So, I mean, it was definitely, you know, a test for Carolina. You can tell that their offensive line is getting worn down as the season goes along, very similar to last year. But I mean, look, this unit allows four sacks the other night, 15 total pressures, which isn't nearly as bad as a year ago. I mean, a year ago, Carolina allowed 28 total pressures to Clemson in the ACC championship game. But the biggest thing for this group that really hurt the team the other night was that they committed six penalties. Um, Three of them alone called on Spencer Ryland, two on Corey Gaynor. Um, It's just, you know, these guys are veterans. This cannot happen. Uh, you know, Spencer Rollin, three quarterback pressures allowed. Uh, Corey Gaynor, a sack and a quarterback pressure allowed. And uh, Willie Lampkin, three quarterback pressures allowed as well. So just all around, I, I mean, you had three guys right there that had arguably their worst performances on the offensive line of the season. And look, it doesn't get any easier for this group. NC State's defensive line is... I'm not going to say just as good as Clemson's, but they're pretty damn close. So this group needs to bounce back. And I I just, I mean, I know they've been solid throughout the year, but that was the thing. We knew this was going to be, these were going to be the tough test at the end of the season. And the first test, Carolina failed pretty badly. Yeah, Saul is not good enough um, when you're going on the road against that team and that environment with that front. You have to be, you have to be great. And the fact that five of your six offensive line penalties were committed by veterans is really the most disheartening thing. Had it been a Diego Pounds out there or someone like that, like their first real like big moment on the road, okay, you live with that because he's a younger player, hasn't been in that situation. And Corey Gaynor has been playing college football for six years, Spencer Rollins five years. Like they've been around the block. They've seen enough. And so – um, it's, it was, it was frustrating, um, be, because in it, it's, it's really hard to say, take away the holes they created on the big runs, but outside of the, the big runs that Hampton experienced, like they just didn't, they just didn't do nothing up front enough for you. Like it felt like, mm-hmm. you know, look at the touchdown pass that Drake, that Drake threw, he had to make a great throw. Like it wasn't that the offensive line gave him time. And so that's the disappointing thing, right? is that you committed six penalties, and outside of two to three plays, you virtually got beat, it felt like, on every play. Um, and that's that was the measuring stick last year. Um, you measured, you know, we measured ourselves again this year. The pressures, yeah, you cut in half, but 15 is still too many to go on the road. And so whether Mac Brown's back next year coaching this team or we got a new head, we got a new head football coach, that's the area as much as any area on this team that you've still got to continue to address and figure out a way to get to that next level if you really want to compete with the best this conference has to offer. Yeah, well, I mean, it's 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 both sides of the trenches. And I'll say this, I, I would give the offensive line more of a pass because you've had three offensive line coaches in three years. The mm-hmm. defensive line has been the same guy the entire time since Mac Brown has come back. So, 
mean, that's that. I, I mean, I get it where things can get lost in translation, but like these are the games where you got to step up. And you're right. It, to me, the pressure numbers don't even really tell the story. I, I think more than anything, just about every single rep, they were dominated off the line of scrimmage. Guys were just getting pushed back right into uh, Drake's lap, and there really just wasn't anything that he could do about it. And, and that's, I mean, that's that's part of the problem. You can't have that happen to your quarterback every time that he's dropping back. He's got to have a clean pocket, especially if he when routes down the field are just not there to begin with. So, I, I mean, I'm hoping that they can bounce back, but it's hard to feel super confident that it's going to happen with this group. Because, yeah, I mean, they're at the point this year where, they, where they're starting to get worn down. And, I mean, you brought up a great point as well with the running game. I, I mean, I think a lot of people will get misled by the amount of yards that Amari and Hampton had. Guys, it, it really came on two plays. The, the, the long run that was fumbled and then the long touchdown run. That was the majority of his rushing yards. So they didn't even run block that well. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it's it, you need this group to bounce back. Hopefully, this being a rivalry game, there'll be some extra motivation. And hopefully, this is a group that learned from last year. But I got to tell you, saying that at this point means nothing. Because we said that about this entire team. After what happened last year, would they learn from that experience when they were faced with adversity uh, here at the end of the year? And they haven't done it. It's the same, stu- it's the same story, just a different season. Um, speaking of that, look at the run defense. No answers for Clemson's rushing attack for the majority of the night. I actually thought, for the most part, they did a solid job against Phil Moffa. I mean, he carried the ball 23 times at 84 yards. It was just 3.7 yards per carry, which is all right, not great. Um, So in that area, I thought they did well. The problem was, apparently, they forgot that Clemson has two running backs and that you also have to stop Will Shipley because he was phenomenal in this game. 18 carries. 126 yards, also had two catches for 53 yards through the air. Carolina could not stop him at all the entire night. He seemed like a man on a mission. And what would you expect when, you know, a lot of people uh, at Clemson pretty much wanted him to be the number two back, let Phil Moffat take the majority of the carries? I feel like they're probably going to want to revisit that conversation here. But the thing is, is that Carolina – when, you know, defensive line's getting blown off the ball like it did. The interior of the defensive line did nothing the entire night. The edges getting worn down because both guys on the edge, both your starters played over 70 snaps. Cayman Rucker, for crying out loud, played 91 in this game as a freaking edge rusher. Um, I, I mean, there, there was absolutely nothing Carolina could do, especially once he got into that third and fourth quarter. And Clemson did what every team has been able to do on Carolina late in games, which is run the football all over him with the hot running back, which uh, was Will Shipley in this one. Yeah, I mean, you know, they mentioned it in the broadcast how Maffa and Shipley compete with one another. They push one another. Kind of the same stuff we heard when we had Javante Williams and Michael Carter in our backfield. And you saw that on display the other night because Shipley was fantastic. Um, and, and even though Mafa's, you know, you had 23, what is it, 23 carries, 84 yards, you held him in check, but the physicality was the thing. They were finishing runs all night long from, from the word go. Like Carolina would hit them, 
and then they would take him for a ride one, two, you know, three yards. And over the course of a game, that stuff adds up. Um, and, and, you know, as, as difficult as Clemson's offense was going to be, you had a four-game set of tape where offenses that are less gifted, less talented than what Clemson has to offer move the ball up and down the field on you. I mean, we saw what, you know, what, what this Virginia offense did. You know, Georgia Tech is a very explosive offense. We saw what they did. Um, and it's why I said coming out of Campbell, like I didn't – I wasn't putting any stock into that because the first quarter and a half of Campbell, they they pushed Carolina up front around too. And and so um, that's, that's going to be the thing that if Mac Brown um, is indeed back for next year, like, dude, uh, uh, enough is enough. You've gone through three offensive line coaches – some of, some of them basically, you know, weren't even by your choice because they left for other gigs. This one has to be by choice. I understand that Tim Cross is a very big part of what you do recruiting-wise. I understand that he brings a, a leadership value that, that is needed in that locker room. But he's not getting the job done on Saturdays. And that's the most important part of his job. And at some point, you got to be willing to, to cut ties. You were willing to cut ties with Dre Bly, a, a former great one of the most beloved players in the history of that university that played for you. You were able to have that tough conversation. we got to have the tough conversation with Tim Cross because this isn't from a lack of talent. He's they've, 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 they've gotten enough dudes up front for this to not happen week after week, year after year. You're not developing the talent. You're not developing the depth on the roster. And that's the biggest reason why when this is all said and done, and you look at this five-year stretch of Carolina football with Sam Howell to Drake May, and you've got a rather empty trophy case, it's because you ain't got no dudes up front defensively, and that was that, and that showed up once again on Saturday. Well, I mean, I got to be honest. The depth thing on the defensive front is is not even a conversation. Like, they, they, there is depth. It's just as simple as play the guys. Now, the interior of the group, it's just that guys are not good enough. Like it, and and that's on the coaching staff because they're not developing these guys. Um, that's on the strength and conditioning staff, which I've said for the better part of the last two years. It's time for a new strength and conditioning staff. When you're getting pushed around like this over and over again, at some point, you're not doing the work in January and February that you need to be doing in order to win at this time of the year. Um, that defensive line, like, like I mean, they've got enough guys. That's the one group they actually rotate guys, or they did early in the year. The edge rushers, they've just completely abandoned it, and it makes it makes no sense. It's it's just, I mean, again, that's on Tim Cross. Um, I don't really understand what his thinking is at all. Um, but he 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 should wake up and realize that Cayman Rucker, dude, Cayman Rucker's a phenomenal player. He's had an unbelievable year. Um, the fact that you think that he should be playing every single snap. I mean, dude, do you just not understand? Like this dude is this dude is beat. Like he is worn down. And the more times that you just keep playing him over and over again, the more worn down he he seems to get. I mean, how many games in a row have we seen him go down at some point and had to be tended to by trainers on the field? Like you need to just realize, dude, you can't be playing him that much. Dez Evans, dude, Dez Evans has had a pretty solid year. He's playing 70-something snaps in a game? 
we can't get Bo Atkinson a little more run, like balance these guys out. And then on the interior, you're rotating guys, but it doesn't matter. The combinations just don't seem to be working right. I, I mean, at some point, that that unit just has to step up and I mean play I, I mean put on their jocks and play. Like it, it, and it and it has to happen next weekend. Like that has to be a game that you come out and dominate up front. And whether or not that that means that you you just destroy a team in the trenches, or if that means that you just hold your own. That was the biggest thing in this game. All you had to do was hold your own. This Clemson offensive line that you face is the worst offensive line that they have had probably since Dabo has been there, maybe since his first year. It's been a long time. I don't remember that offensive line. Um, this offensive line unit for Clemson was was horrible and in, in their standards, and they still absolutely manhandled you. There's no excuse. It, it just we, – we've got to stop making the excuses for this group. Um, with that being said, uh, this is probably going to seem like an excuse, but I think it's at, at this point, it's really just about the, really, an, it's an observation at this point that that is hard to ignore. And it's that this defense is just getting as fatigued as any defense that we've seen in recent years for Carolina. Um, again, in this game, Clemson dominates the time of possession. Uh, over 35 minutes of possession in this game for Clemson alone. Um, they, they ran 92 offensive plays. Uh, Cedric Gray, Power Eccles, Kamen Rucker, and Marcus Allen all on the field for over 90 snaps. Two more guys, uh, Stick Lane and uh, Des Evans on the field for over 70 snaps. I mean, look. Carolina's got to do a better job, and in this game, it was because they simply were not able to stay on the field outside of those first four drives. Carolina's got to do a better job of trying to slow the game down a little bit and help this defense out because right now they're they're just they're playing entirely too many possessions. I thought early in the season Carolina did a good job of sort of balancing things out, limiting the amount of reps that uh, the defense w- was forced to play. And I think another big part of it was uh, that, you know, this defense wasn't worn down. But at this point, I mean, you've got so many guys playing so many reps. You need to start rotating more, uh, but that simply isn't going to happen. And at this point, it just means that Carolina's defense is uh, too tired to to really be able to play at the the level that they did earlier in the year. Yeah, I mean, I think you brought up a great point. The first – month of the year Carolina I mean played with tempo because no no team huddles anymore but it was more of a methodical approach hey we're gonna we're gonna work the clock and keep our defense fresh because we got to help them out and what what happened the first month and a half Carolina was giving up like 22-ish points per game getting after the quarterback weren't getting run down in the fourth quarter and then something happened in that Miami game where it felt like for the first time they didn't trust the defense and what, which didn't make a whole lot of sense because Carolina controlled that game from like the second quarter on, it felt like, but if that, I mean, that game felt Phil Longo esque and it, it seems like Chip Lindsay hasn't gotten out of that mode ever since um, you go you, you back to the Georgia tech game. I mean, it felt like, 
from the moment Georgia Tech punched back in the second quarter, he was chasing points and it felt like he was calling to score a touchdown on every play. And like in theory, like, yes, the goal is to score touchdowns, but sometimes you can score touchdowns that don't benefit your, your defense. And, and that's kind of been the curse of this program for the last decade or so. And, you know, 92 plays first off is, yeah, you got to get off the field on third down. But I mean, when you're shot by the, the really by, by the, by halftime, Carolina just felt exhausted. They mm-hmm. look exhausted. Um, they felt exhausted. Um, and when that happens, you, you don't got a whole lot of resistance left. And, you know, I know Mac Brown said today that, you know, they got to do a much better job rotating and all that type of stuff. I just don't get like, just stop. That, that, just, just stop for, for, I mean, Gene Chizik said this too. Just, just, just cut the crap, cut the crap. Quit telling us this because you've told us this every year that you've been here and it's the same thing. And I got to be honest, I've seen some of the guys that have come in, especially, you know, a linebacker. Like, dude, Amari Campbell can handle being in there for, for a little bit to give Cedric Gray and Power Eccles some time to breathe because, I mean, I don't know if you – like, to me, I, I, both of those guys, the last few weeks, they played some of their worst games of their career because they're just – they're dead. They have, they have nothing left. Like – I mean, look at how many times they've missed tackles in the last few weeks. It just, they're not the same players because, I mean, at this point, I mean, you're playing all of those guys. I mean, I put it in the preview the other night, and I'm trying to find it right here. Uh, They have now played, so so counting counting Saturday night, that means that Cedric Gray and Power Eccles have both played more than 75 snaps in five of the last six games. That also means Cayman Rutgers probably played about that same amount in that stretch. Uh, Marcus Allen, before he gets hurt, Elijah Huzzy. Like, you're talking about these guys playing every single rep. There's there's no depth. There's no rotation. And look, I get that there's some drop-off, but at some point, like, yeah, you, you want to be good early in the season. You want to stack up those wins. But this is the same thing that happened to you last year. Your mm. defense, yeah, your defense wasn't good from really the word go last year. But another, the other part of it was that your guys simply got worn down. I think on the defensive line at times they've done a better job of rotating. I think it's safety they've done a j- better job of rotating. But outside of that, I think they have done a horrible job of rotating, and I'm sorry. I'm tired of hearing you say we're going to rotate. It's the same thing of pretty much anything that comes out of Mac Brown's mouth at this point. Stop saying it and actually execute it because until you actually do that, I don't really give a damn what you say in a press conference. Well, the most frustrating thing is, is that like you've got like 87 people on staff that are wearing headsets and all this type of stuff. How is there that lack of communication to where, and you got all these dudes all you know in the booth watching the the you know and evaluating and you're tracking all this all this type of stuff. You got all this data now, to where you can you can track you know you review this stuff, and it's not getting better. Like why? If I if I was a donor, I would go to them and say, why am I giving you the money to invest in this technology? that you say you need to keep your players fresher, more healthier, blah, blah, blah. 
And then every year my dudes are worn down by November and we're getting run over by, 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 by all these teams. And so that's to me what's frustrating. Now, and it's our job to hold, you know, use their words against them. It sucks because I don't want to come up here and, and, and call my coach a coward or, you know, call him out. But you're right. We've heard the we've heard the same message out of that room for years. And we'll go into this next game on Saturday. And I bet you we'll see a graphic in the fourth quarter of snaps played uh-huh. by Cayman Rucker, Sed Gray, Marcus Allen, and it's going to be some egregious number. And if Carolina loses, Mac Brown will get behind the podium and say, "We didn't do a better enough. We didn't do a good enough job of rotating guys. We got to get better at that." Well, you know, you can only really say that so many times, man. Before we're just going to quit believing it. And if 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 fans don't believe you're going to rotate. You think the players believe you're going to do it? Do they know what's being said? Because I'm sure you're telling them we're going to do a better job this week getting you in the game. And then they don't get any grass stains on the shirt because they're not seeing the playing field. And so it's frustrating. It's maddening. And, um, you know, it's just another sign that this program on the field and off the field, they've still got some room to grow. Yeah, I mean – you said it. You've got you've got guys. I mean, you've got coaches that should be pointing this stuff out to you. Like, if we can see it as fans, and you can point it out in a press conference, then you should be able to do something about it. But when it Should've comes to point out during day, the game, I, I mean, my my thing is is like, what are you are are you listening to what the players are telling you when they tell you, coach, I don't need to come out of the game? Yeah, of course they're going to say that. They're competitors. Like, at some point, you just got to look at them and say, look, ultimately, I need you to come out of the game here in this moment because I need you to be out there later in the game, and I need you to still have something left in the tank. I need you to still have something left in the tank when we get later on in the season. Like, it's too late now to go back and and correct the stuff that's happened before, but, I mean, look, you've got to find a way to keep these guys fresher moving forward. Now you've pretty much made your bed and and you got to lie in it. You're probably going to play these guys as much as you possibly can in this game against NC State because you need it. But it's something that Mac Brown and this staff has – they have to learn this earlier in the year. You can't be sitting here after game 11 and saying, well, our guys are worn down and we probably could have done a a better job of, of keeping them fresher. Yeah, you, you think so? Like, I, I mean, or, or how, it, it doesn't take it doesn't take the, the brightest bulb on the tree to figure that one out there, Mac. Meanwhile, another comment that uh, from him that I, I think should should have drawn uh, the eyes of many, and it probably drew uh, the attention of many around college football was his comments uh, about this was after the game. Uh, on Saturday, this was in his post-game press conference, not the presser that he did earlier today, um, talked about, you know, he was specifically asked by Adam Smith of Inside Carolina about the fumble, the second fumble from Memorial Hampton where Nate Wiggins punches the ball out. Um, Smith was bringing up something that a lot of Toriel fans were wondering about on social media, whether or not Wiggins was out of bounds when he touched the ball. Um, Mac Brown basically then said that the reviews didn't go their way all night, and that was part of the reason that they lost the game. Uh, Torio fans uh, basically just coming out and saying that was the main reason that they lost the game, including one major uh, site writing an article that really just pointed to the referees as the main reason that Carolina lost the football game. 
Um, can't agree with that at all. Uh, I don't think the referees really had much of an effect at all on this game. There was one play to me that stuck out that I was pretty angry with because at this point, the holdings on Cayman Rucker that go on call, that's just – it's just part of it. They're not going to call it. Um, it seems like if, if you get your hands around his neck, as long as you don't uh, completely grab onto him and just throw him to the ground, they're never going to call it. Don't understand why, but it is what it is. Uh, there was a pass interference uh, in the second quarter on uh, Tez Walker that I think should have been called. Um, the corner clearly was there early. He didn't turn his head, anything like that. Uh, that was the one that was probably the most frustrating for me. Other than that, uh, I don't really think there's there's any other plays that you could really be that mad about. Um, I know a lot of people were pointing to Cade Klubnik, uh, his knee being down on the play where he stretches out for the touchdown right before halftime. Knee wasn't down. What you saw on that angle was the towel. Uh, both of his legs were still up. Uh, you could debate whether or not the ball was actually in. That was a little bit closer than uh, I, I think many people thought initially. But I think ultimately they stuck with the ruling on the field. That was probably the right call because you couldn't get a definitive angle. Uh, and in terms of the ball being punched out from behind, um, first of all, it looked like he got his left leg in right as he's making contact with the ball. It was a bang-bang play. Uh, so it wouldn't matter even if it was a rule. And as far as I know, from trying to dig deep and try to find some uh, things on this, which I don't think the rule book officially has any ruling on this, just from the interpretations that I've seen from others online about situations similar to this in the past, um, there is no rule against that. You could be out of bounds, punch the ball out. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't matter because it's a fumble. As long as the offensive player is still in bounds, uh, it doesn't matter. You can force the fumble. So uh, it looked like that was clean. I know a lot of people were angry about that, um, but I, I don't see any way that you can put this one on the officials. I, the simple fact mm -hmm. of the matter is, is that Amari and Hampton just can't fumble that. I mean, look, it's 2023, guys. How many times are we going to take the, the the easy and the lazy way out and blame officiating? They're going to miss calls. You've got to be good enough and tough enough to overcome them. And the fact that Mac Brown is as comfortable as he is using that as reasons as to why they got beat is a big reason why when this when these things happen they don't overcome them. Like at some point, you know, it, it, it happens in every sport. Um, it's why we've got replay. It's and, and even replay gets it wrong sometimes. But they're not perfect. They're human. They're gonna screw it up. But that doesn't mean that you gotta let it impact the next play or the next twenty-five or thirty plays. You got to be. You've got to be tough enough to overcome adversity, and that's what that's what poor officiating is. It's adversity. That's all it is. And um, it's frustrating that it feels like whenever we we don't get a call to go our way, you know, we watch our head coach throw a temper tantrum on the sidelines, and then our team basically decompresses in some form or fashion, and then he gets behind the microphone and, and uses that as a reason as to why his team got beat. Um, not the fact that you gave up 247 rushing yards, not the fact that you, you you fumbled twice inside the five yard line. Not the fact that you know you 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 you, you couldn't sustain drives in the second half. And so, um, 
it, to me, it's just something that like, as, as someone that's got a platform to voice his opinion, I'm never going to use my platform to say officiating is the reason why my team got beat. Never. Cause I, I, I don't, I don't believe in it. Um, and I wish more people felt the same way. Well, I mean, look, there's there's certain cases where it could be egregious enough that you could say it played a big factor in it. Like, for example, game earlier in the year for for the Giants, uh, as a Giants fan that I watched, holding very clear holding in the end zone on the final play of regulation against Buffalo. That one, okay, you could you could have an argument where okay, you're bringing that into play. You're clearly talking about that when you're recapping the game. I just, to me, I, I don't see why people were so mad about this. Get like, I didn't see that. I know other people were bringing up the Cedric Gray thing. Look, you can argue the rule all you want on that one. I think it's, it's a, rule. a horrible rule. I don't really understand if you get, uh, if you touch the helmet of a quarterback, why that's different. You could touch the helmet of every other player on the field, but the quarterback, you can't touch the helmet. But it, it is what it is. The rule, the rule is a rule. It was called earlier in the day. In another game, I forget which game it was called in that I was watching earlier in the day. And, yeah, I mean, they they enforce it. They enforce it in the NFL. It's a soft rule. There's no doubt about it. Um, it's something that should be taken out of the game, in my opinion. Like, look, I, I'm that guy, and I know there are a lot of people that hate it, and that you know, uh, targeting, I, I think, is a good rule. I think it should be in the NFL. Like, you, you saw a guy that just got suspended again, Kareem Jackson. That dude should never play football again. One of the dirtiest players I've ever seen in my life. And he should not be allowed to stay in games. Like targeting, it's a good rule. If a guy, I mean, just you want to see an example of why targeting is in the game? Go back and watch the highlight of the safety that was ejected for Boston College that literally threw himself into the air head first and just took a guy out. That's a good rule. This rule that they called the other night, horrible rule. Don't understand why they keep it in the game, but they do. Cedric Gray got his arm up. And I, look, I don't know if Mac Brown was just using that as a moment because he felt like at, at that time, remember that, that was the drive where they eventually score right before halftime. I don't know if he felt like the game was starting to slip away and he was trying to use something to sort of motivate this group. No idea. But it was interesting that he chose to freak out on that one because the thing is, he's talking about the reviews not going their way. You were, as far as we know, and and look, maybe it was on the television broadcast. They did not show the sideline of Mac Brown freaking out. I feel like if he was losing it, they would have shown him. If you truly believed that the play should have been reviewed and they should have looked at the ball being touched by a guy that was out of bounds, then you should have absolutely lost it on the officials after that review. Like, you should have gotten to the point where you almost got ejected. We didn't see any sort of yelling from Mac Brown, anything at the time. So retroactively, you go back and watch it and say, now, oh, now I think that they're, they, they should have looked at that. I'm telling you, I don't think that's a rule. So I don't think it would have mattered even if they looked at it. I, I don't think that's a rule in the rule book that you can't touch the ball and force a fumble. I, I it's it's again talk about things that are stupid. A guy standing out of bounds can touch the ball and punch it out of a guy's hand and it still counts as a fumble, but it is what it is. So 
I mean, yeah, it, it makes you look like a weak program when your coach is using that as an excuse over and over again. When he points to that, when he points to all these other different things that he doesn't like, like at some point, man, you know, especially with that, like you, you can point that out in games that you win, not in games that you lose. And don't point to it as a reason that you lose. Well, now this sets Carolina up with a huge game against NC State this upcoming week. Uh, Mac Brown spoke to the media earlier today. Uh, no injury updates, though. This was uh, the first time all year that Carolina has not had any sort of update on anyone on the roster. And I don't know what to make of this because it, I, I'm kind of concerned. Elijah Huzzy left the game the other night, did not return. Um, I, I, he is a huge part of this defense for Carolina. They need him out there. So either this means that he is going to be good to go um, and you know we shouldn't worry about this, or this means that he's probably done for the remainder of the season. Could be the remainder of his career, just depends on what happens uh, with the NFL, a Carolina career. That sounded a little bit dark there. Um, don't don't think it's anything career ending or anything of that nature. Just think he could be a guy that, as a slot corner, could get a look uh, in the NFL. He is a junior, so uh, de- definitely can't rule it out. Um, but uh, definitely something to keep an eye on here as we get closer to game day, which is on Saturday this year. Uh, first time in a long, long time that Carolina will not play state on Black Friday. Uh, the game is set for 8 p.m. on ACC Network. That was announced shortly after Carolina's loss on Saturday. Uh, so it is going to be a nighttime kick. West Durham uh, and the crew will be on the call of that one. Uh, as Carolina hopes to find a way to pull out a victory against NC State in a game that, as I said, they really need because if not, uh, Carolina loses four of their last five to FBS opponents, uh, and this will be the second straight year that they have just completely collapsed down the stretch. It would leave us pretty much in the same spot uh, a year later that we were uh, last year unless Carolina can find a way to win their bowl game. Uh, we'll have you covered on the website with all of it, heeltoughblog.com. Guys, make sure you head over there, check out the Clemson recap that is up there, a little bit more in-depth on my takeaways from the game, uh, some of the stuff uh, that we didn't even get to here tonight that you guys can check out over there on the website. Uh, also, make sure that you guys are keeping an eye out. It'll be up early this week. We'll have the stock report last week. I did write it, uh, but I didn't uh, share it uh, because I'm an idiot. I forgot after... Uh, the announcement from Cedric Gray. I was so worried about getting that one up there. Uh, that one, also an article that you should read, Cedric Gray, heading to the Senior Bowl, basically confirming he will not be back for another season in Chapel Hill. Did have the extra year of eligibility, but is going to forego that uh, to go on to the NFL. Uh, so congratulations to Ced. Uh, should be a great opportunity for him to showcase himself at the most prestigious uh, postseason bowl game uh, for NFL draft prospects uh, in early February. Um, and then, of course, we'll have you covered on everything NC State leading into that game. Preview will be up. Uh, that will be up on Friday for you guys uh, to check out there. Uh, even though it is a holiday weekend, still going to be working and grinding on the football side of things and definitely on the basketball side of things. Carolina in action, Battle for Atlantis in the Bahamas. It starts on Wednesday. I'll be covering you. Uh, with some of the recaps, uh, I think I'll be doing just about every one of those, if not every one of those uh, for Carolina uh, out there 
uh, regardless of what happens. Josh will have you uh, covered with most of the previews. I may have to dip in there on those as well. And then on the podcast side of things, it will be me uh, solo most of the time. I may see if I can get someone in there uh, to host with me uh, so that we can have a little bit of back and forth on this Carolina team. But we'll see. Uh, it's crazy, uh, a little bit of a crazy schedule going on here with Josh heading to uh, Dallas for uh, the holiday weekend. He's going to go watch his Cowboys play, uh, but he's going to be keeping up, uh, uh, keeping up with everything going on on the Tar Heel basketball side of things. So he won't miss a beat. You guys won't miss a beat. And uh, if you are looking for the Four Corners podcast, make sure you check it out wherever you get your podcast uh, and subscribe to it, uh, just like you should do if you are a listener to this podcast. Uh, make sure that you uh, rate, review, and subscribe for us, too. We'd greatly appreciate that. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. want to thank Josh for hosting with me. want to thank you guys for watching and listening. And as always, go Torians!